Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. We're still kind of looking at this, what we call a travel narrative, where Jesus is making his trip back to Jerusalem. And this little passage right here, it seems that Luke put it in here just because it was a really good spot. And this may have been another, he may have made this stop at another time on the way or whatever. We don't have a log of everything that Jesus did on every particular day. But uh, this is a passage that we're pretty familiar with. And we see in verse 38 of chapter 10, this is how it reads. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now I'm going to take you back to high school English class. This is one of my favorite poems. I kind of like to read poems. This is the one by Robert Frost. It says, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could where it bent in the undergrowth, and then took the others just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Robert Frost was a crusty old guy and uh, an interesting person on top of that, but he really did kind of take the road less traveled by, and that was probably what made a difference in his life and in his poems. You know, as we grow up, even from the time that we're children, we make choices. And then after we get, the older we get, the more choices that we make. You choose the person that you're going to marry. You choose where you're going to go off to school or what type of a trade you're going to pursue. And there's choices that we make that have an effect upon our whole life. We're going to talk about choices this morning. The Bible tells us to make right choices. In the passage that we read at the beginning, where Joshua confronted the people of Israel, and he said, choose this day which God you will serve, whether it's the God that your father served on the other side of the river or whether it is the Lord. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was his choice. Whenever we read in Deuteronomy, and I think it is chapter 33, I failed to write this down. But Moses addresses the people of Israel, and this was kind of his swan song sermon, in which he said, Today I set before you life and death. Choose life so that you may live. And the Bible is constantly calling upon us to make the right choices. It's 
There's sometimes the word choose does not show up in there, but every time you read an injunction to do something and to pursue God's will, you are making a right choice. And this is the thing that we deal with here in this little incident in the life of Jesus with Mary and Martha, two sisters. As we look at this, there's, there's something a little bit puzzling about this passage right here because of what we don't know. You know, we, we, we're familiar with Mary and Martha. We read about them in a few other little spots in the, in the Gospels. They had a brother named Lazarus. We know that. And there was another person that figured in on that. He was known as Simon the leper. And if you look in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 and 7, that is how he is referred to. And whenever we come to another, and whenever you come to read about Mary and Martha again in, in John chapter 12, uh, you're going to read in there about uh, Mary and Martha. And whenever Mary comes and anoints Jesus' feet with fragrant perfume. And so you, you put all of this together. And so you see there's some guy named Simon the leper. There's some, some woman named Martha, another one named Mary, and then a brother named Lazarus. But we really don't know for sure why. Some people think that maybe Simon the leper was dead by the time this came about. And Simon the, and, and Martha was his widow. And she had taken in her sister Mary as well as her brother Lazarus. Maybe. Some people will say, well, no. Uh, Simon was the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And if so, whatever, it may explain why we have these three adults apparently living in the same house and they're not married to anybody because they would have kind of been a pariah a little bit because of the disease that Simon had. He had been, he had been diagnosed as a leper. But you know something? There was no sickness that scared Jesus off, did it? <laughs> and so he, he came and, and we, we find out that these people are very, very different. Mary and Martha were as different as night and day. Martha was kind of a get-it-done type person. She was the practical one. She was the one that whenever there was something to be done, it needed to be done. And if, some, and if someone needed to get in another person's face, she was more than willing to do it. We know whenever Lazarus had died and the message got to Jesus that the, friend, the one that you love is, is sick, by the time Jesus gets back there to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He'd already buried him. Now, here were his two sisters, Mary and Martha, in the house. They heard that Jesus was getting close. He'd come inside the town of Bethany. What do Mary and Martha do? Martha gets up to go see Jesus while Mary, little Miss Muffet, continues to sit on her tuffet. And she does not get out and go anywhere. But whenever Martha shows up with Jesus, she doesn't throw her arms around him and say, I'm going to miss my brother so much. What does she say? She said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she kind of backs up and says, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she said in so many words, this is a paraphrase, but like, well, yeah, I know you're going to rise again at the resurrection on the last day, but that's not now. You know, it's like, you know, I won't even be alive now. You see, and that's just how she was. She would get right to the point. And here they are. And where was Mary the whole time? She was sitting there. And so Martha goes back to the house and she decides it's time for Mary to get a little bit of that. So she says, the master is calling you. You know, that's just how she was. But Jesus loved them both, didn't he?
And, you know, and, and so this is how we see this. Here they were. Jesus comes over here, stops at, this, at their house. They're going to serve him a meal. And once again, Mary was in her familiar posture, sitting down. This time at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up whatever he had to tell her. Martha was in there, you know, getting the hamburgers fried and putting together a banana pudding and iced tea and stuff like that. And she was having to do it all by herself. And she had just about had it with little sister. And so she comes stomping over there to Jesus and addresses him. And she says, does it not bother you that I'm in there having to do all of this work myself? In other words, I'm cooking a meal for you and I'm having to do it all alone. And then she said, you tell my sister to get up and help me. And this time Jesus gives her kind of a mild rebuke. Martha, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. You're in a tizzy about a lot of things. But you know, there's really only one thing that's important right now. And Mary has chosen that. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that loves Mary's and he loves Martha's? You know, we need to love both of them. Even though sometimes you want to yank the hair out of their head, you know, because they, they're messing things up all the time. But I am glad that Jesus loves people like you. He loves people like me. And Jesus is patient with us whenever we get off track. That's the kind of Savior we have. And it's the Savior that I'm thankful that I have. And I know you are too. We see something else about the blessings of hospitality. I doubt very seriously that Jesus gave Mary and Martha any notice that he was going to be showing up. Remember, they didn't have cell phones back then. They didn't have pay phones. You just kind of showed up, and that was okay. And, and so, but hospitality was an important thing in that culture, and really it's even an important thing in our culture. You read, whenever you can read in, in 1 Timothy and also in Titus about the qualifications for a pastor, one of the things that, that he's supposed to do is be given to hospitality. And then whenever you look in Romans chapter 12, it's verse 13, we read in there where it just says pursue hospitality. And it's not saying it's just for ministers, but it's for all of us Christians. And there is something about this that is, whenever we get together and do things together, there's a certain bond that is formed, and it's a thing that everybody gets a blessing, the one that gets the hospitality and the one that gives it. You know, in the years that I was a pastor, you know, which was like, I remember it was a long time. Anyway, some of the sweetest times I ever had as a pastor were on Sunday nights after church let out. And somebody would say, what are you doing after this? Let's go over to the house, and the old lady's going to, fry up some hamburgers and we'll play some games. But I remember whenever I lived in Yorktown, there was a big pizza parlor in Kennedy, Texas, privately owned, and the Hancocks and their kids and my daughter and my wife, we would all go there together and just eat like pigs. And we just enjoyed that so much. You know what? We still hear from the Hancocks. We still do. And it's because of some things that happened, just because of a bond and a fellowship that was had. And this was something, whenever Jesus showed up, 
Martha was not going to let them get away without feeding them something because it's just the right thing to do. There's this fellowship and this blessing of fellowship. But the main point of this whole passage has to do with our need to focus on what is really necessary. Was Martha doing something bad? Well, nothing other than getting a little, you know, fuzzed up about how things were going. But it wasn't wrong to cook a meal. And it wasn't wrong to make something that would be really special and something really nice. There was nothing wrong with that. It was just that there was a choice that was better than all of that. And Mary had made the best choice and Martha had made the second best choice. We need to focus on the things that are most necessary and the things that are most needful. Now, I don't intend to step on anybody's toes, but if this bothers you, you might want to get your feet up off the floor. But anyway, listen, we have to take care as God's people that the good things in life do not crowd out the best things. And by that, I'm talking about, you know, there's some good things that we can do. It really is like spending time with our family. You know, spending time with the wife, with the children, maybe with our own parents, or maybe with an old uncle that is not going to live much longer. Those are things that we need to do, and those things are good. But sometimes we can let those things begin to be the number one issue in our life. At one church where I served, there was a man that was on the pulpit committee, and, uh, you know, he and his wife, I don't know, they were probably in their early 40s, I would say, uh, they had two big strapping sons. One was going to be going to college on a football scholarship, and the other one was in high school. Good-looking fella. You know, usually whenever you meet someone that's on the pulpit committee, he's a pretty active member of the church. And after I started going, after I moved there, and, you know, after a few Sundays, I noticed that he maybe had come to church once in six weeks. And I asked someone about it because that's not a good sign. Whenever a member on the pulpit committee quits coming, whenever you show up, it's, it's not good. And so, someone said, oh, no, that's just always the way they've been. And I wanted to say, well, why did you put them on the committee if that's what they're doing? But I didn't. Anyway, but, and at some point, this man was real nice. He just said, well, I want to tell you why we're not here a lot on Sundays. You know, we don't get to, you know, we don't get to have a whole lot of time with each other. And, you know, we want to spend time with the boys. And so we usually spend our weekends out at the lake. Well, couldn't you spend time with the boys going to church sometime? That's what I was thinking. But that was the way it was. Listen, it's good to spend time with your family, but don't do it at the sacrifice of spending time with God. There's good things that you can give to. There's charities and stuff like that. Around here in Russ County, there's a lot of things that you can give to. And it's all great, and it's fine. But let's not forget to do our due before God. And that's, we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about letting civic affairs and clubs take up our time and, and make that more important than anything else. You know, there's a lot of things that you can be involved in. The Lions Club or the Optimist Club and all of those things are good. And they're wonderful. But don't let that be the most important focus in your life or something like that. I know that there was a man that in one town where I lived, and he was really a pretty decent type of a guy. He did not go to church in a town that was pretty much of a church-going town. He was a member of a fraternal organization. And someone was talking to him about, you know, we would love for you to come to church. And he said, and he showed them his ring. He said, but this is my church right here. Well, 
his ring and what it represented did not die for his sins. And it was not going to give him any hope beyond the grave. Don't let good things crowd out the best thing, and that is drawing close to Jesus Christ. You know, we can become so busy doing things for the Lord that we forget to seek Him. We really can't, honestly. You can, you can be an active member at a church and, and serve on the, the spaghetti supper committee and you can be on the finance committee and you can be a deacon and you can be another officer in the church and teach a Sunday school class and lead in a Wednesday night study and all that. And after a while, it gets to where you're doing so many things, you're forgetting about the Lord that you're supposed to be glorifying. And it does happen. Listen. Don't allow anything to get between you and spending time just in worshiping God and reflecting on His grace every now and then and thinking about how amazing it is. Don't let anything make you come to the point where you quit seeking to know Him better and know the power of His resurrection in your life. Don't let anything come between you and the desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Listen. I've known a lot of preachers in my life, and you have too. They're supposed to be telling you how to live. And they get busy, and they devote their whole life to church work. And they get so busy doing church work that they forget about God. We can't let that happen. You know, and as a church, we can become so involved in, in programs to attract people that the worship of God begins to take second place. Now, there's nothing wrong with churches having programs and doing things, but there's times whenever what we see in church life is that the whole thing about church, it's all about the programs. And I remember years ago going by and visiting with one person that had moved to the community, and the first thing they asked was, what are your programs? Well, you know... I should, I, if I'd been real smarty, I would have said, well, the program is Jesus, you know, because that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, don't, don't allow the programs to take you away from God. We can become so distracted that we ignore a quiet time with God. I was, a friend of mine just gave me a, a book the other day, and it's the biography of a man named Eugene Peterson, and some of you have heard of him. You may not like him. I do. And uh, he's just an interesting person. And uh, he, if, if you're familiar with the paraphrase of the Bible called the message, he's the one that did that. He was a, he's a scholar. He was also a pastor. Uh, he, his last few years of being active and stuff, he, was, he taught at Regent College up in British Columbia. Brilliant man. But one thing that I read in the book, it was talking about one time when the Petersons, who lived up in Montana, they, you know, he was, Eugene Peterson had already retired, and they had some company. Mrs. Peterson was cooking breakfast, and she tells the grandson, go tell granddaddy that it's time for breakfast. And the little boy goes to the door that leads downstairs into the cellar, and the little boy quietly walks down the stairs, and there was Eugene Peterson with a light, a dim light in front of him and a Bible in front of him. And he was reading and praying. And the little boy turned around and went back to the kitchen and didn't bother anybody. 
found out that they said that Eugene Peterson would spend an hour every morning reading the Bible and another hour reading commentaries. You know, it's sad whenever we can spend so much time doing everything else under the sun and we just don't have time to talk to God or listen to his voice in the scripture. Now this may kind of bug you, but I, I, I realize that I'm not too crazy about social media, but I know people that spend a whole lot more time on Facebook than they ever do reading the scriptures. And that's sad. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not on Facebook, so I can talk ugly about it if I want to. And the reason I'm not on it is because, I, you know, there's nothing about my life that, that, that's that interesting. And, and honestly, when people have shown me some stuff that was on Facebook, you know, it's some of it's interesting, but I've never really found anything on there that was as interesting as the Scriptures. Listen, we can become so busy with other things that we lose our craving for God. And that's sad. You know, and, some, and, and we have all these things that keep us busy all the time. And we find ourselves just in a crunch just to find a little bit of time to spend with God. You know, we'll, we'll rattle off a quick prayer to him as we're driving to our job. Uh, or what we'll do is uh, we'll sit down at the table and uh, we, we have a box of precious promises. And we pull out one of those precious promises and we read it out loud and stuff it back in the box and shut the lid and go on our way. And that is our time that we spent with God. And when we do that, we give lip service to Scripture, but we really don't do anything else. I promise you that if a preacher were to come in here today and tell you that half the Bible is a lie or it's not worth believing, you would run him out of here on a rail, or at least I hope you would. But why, if, if, if we, that would upset us, why is it that we will tolerate our own neglect of the Scripture? You know, how many of us are really Marthas? We put all of our energy into serving Christ, and the burden of all that begins to weigh us down. Listen, when we begin to complain about how much we do for the Lord, we have ceased to focus on Christ and ceased to focus on knowing Him and being conformed to His likeness. Did I, and I was thinking about this the other day. Did Jesus ever complain? And why? I, I know that there were times whenever he was in agony and times that he was bothered, but I never remember reading anything about him just complaining and griping. I don't think he ever did. One other thing is this is that Jesus has an answer for this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed people that were burdened, people that were anxious about the things of this life, people that were weary with this, the, the same questions, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? And Jesus rebukes this type of thinking, and he does it by pointing to something. He said, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. We take care of them. There's not a bird that falls to the ground that my father doesn't know about. The lilies of the field are more beautiful than Solomon at his peak. And God makes all of them grow and nobody touches them. What he tells people that are always in a stew 
and that are thinking about everything else but God. This is what he says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you stew about will be given to you. Let's make that our choice today and every day. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord, we confess to you today that we've spent too much time on things that were not as important. Things that, relatively speaking, that were not important at all. We've been wrong. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to set aside more time just to talk to you. To set aside more time just in silence to be able to think about you, to spend time in your word. Lord, cause us to remember what's really important in life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.